seated. <clears throat> we're in the study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. And I'm just going to preach to you today on one sentence from verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read a little before. I'm going to read a little after for context. We remember the apostles' concern. But just a single sentence today, and if it sounds familiar, some of you learned this in the uh, um, Navigator's study that Warren did some years ago, one of the topical memory system verses that uh, that whole series of studies was named after, Colossians chapter 2, 6, and 7. Well, here now from Colossians chapter 2, at the beginning of the chapter. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Now I say this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it, with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word, and we give you overflowing thanks as it is written for Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is not only the way in which we seek to walk, but also the truth and the life. And we pray that his words may indeed be written upon our hearts, that we might bear fruit to him unto everlasting life. We pray it in his name. Amen. I met Catriona at a church retreat. I saw her across the room in the first session, and I thought, I'm going to have to meet that girl. <laughs> At the break, I went over and talked to her for about uh, 20 minutes, and then afterward we were going to ha uh, have some music, and I decided I wasn't going to stick around. I wanted to go back to the room because I wanted to thank God that I had met the woman that I wanted to marry. I knew. She didn't know but I knew, and I haven't been disappointed since. Now, it wasn't uh, love at first sight, uh, don't get me wrong, but it didn't take long. We were engaged less than five months later. Uh, we love to hear stories of how people fall in love. But of course, if you're married, you know that uh, in so many ways, falling in love is the easy part. The real question is, how do you sustain that love for a lifetime so that it grows deeper and stronger? I'm not only beginning my sermon, therefore, with a shameless commercial for our re-engage couples ministry that starts in January. I'm also starting this way because becoming a Christian is a lot like falling in love. 
it's wonderful, but if you get my meaning, it is in some ways the easy part. The question is, now that we've received Christ Jesus, how can we deepen that love and devotion, living more fully and more fruitfully for Christ? Because, you know, feelings go up and down. Trials and disappointments come. Temptations and distractions seem near at hand. We get other offers. Is Jesus enough for me? It's the question we must ask. Paul begins verse 6 by reminding you of the most important thing in your life. We've received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And then in the rest of the sentence that's before us today in verses 6 and 7, Paul gives a very beautiful, a very dense answer to how we must, therefore, live now. Now, I've heard it said that uh, most books should have been articles. Most articles should be tweets. Most tweets shouldn't be posted. Uh, in other words, most of what we read is just, just a lot of fluff. But there's no fluff in the sentence that's before us today. There's enough spiritual meat here to feed a hungry soul for a lifetime. And so in this one sentence, in verses 6 and 7, I'll be calling your attention to the five action words in our passage under five headings. Walk in Christ. Rooted in Christ. Built up in Christ. Established in the faith and abounding in it with thanksgiving. Here's going to be our study today right from the passage. First, walk in Christ, as he begins in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. The Christian life is not like a car with a self-contained power source. It's more like an electric motor. Uh, it... Uh, it constantly needs to be connected to the outside current in order to progress, in order to have power. Well, in the same way, uh, Paul has said it back in chapter 1, verse 29, how to this end, I also labor according to his mighty working, uh, which works in me mightily. Sorry, uh, striving according to his working that works in me mightily. So the point is, as our source of power is outside ourselves, in Christ, the means of experiencing that power is through our relationship with him. As we have received him, we must now learn to walk in him. That's his first command. And this needs to be stressed in the Colossians context, which we've seen, they, they wanted to go to maturity. They, of, of course, wanted to grow, but as we've read, there was this danger that they might be deceived by people or philosophies or traditions of men claiming to offer them something else, something more than what they had already. And all the buzzwords are throughout this letter. How, how would you like to experience wholeness, fullness, perfection, Understanding mysteries, wisdom, and knowledge? Well, well, yes, we would. That's just what we would like. That's the attraction to this. But Paul's strong answer throughout the letter is, Dear people, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you haven't already received in Christ. 
There is nothing more that you could possibly have that you do not have. Says Paul, therefore, the way forward for you is not adding something or some other way than the road you began as you've received him. So walk in him. Or Charles Spurgeon put it very beautifully in his devotional morning and evening. In fact, I put this in the bulletin so that you can meditate on it later. Persevere, he writes, in the same way in which you began. Just at the beginning, Christ Jesus was the trust of your faith, the source of your life, the principle of your action, and the joy of your spirit. So let him be the same until life's end, the same when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and enter into the joy and the rest that remain for the people of God. That's Paul's great point. I mean, what can the false teachers offer you that you haven't received in Christ? There is no secret, no esoteric formula for the Christian life. What's required now is that you walk on this road that you first set your feet on when you said, I will follow Jesus. Now, this language of walking also is very instructive. Um, walking implies progress. It, it implies action. You, you know that the way of speaking here comes from the Hebrew scriptures where the life of faith is very often compared to a road that we travel, often even contrasted with another road that the wicked walk along. And this is a common way of imagining our lives as Christians um, throughout the Bible. I Isaiah prophesies that, you know, in these last days, even when your times are tough, your ears, he says, shall hear a word behind you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Another word, in these days, the Lord himself says he'll be with you and keep you on the right road whenever you are tempted to waver or wander off. This is the way. And that's a word for us today. Paul's point is that there, there's no other road. You need to stay on this road, not being tempted by any other, but walking with Christ. Or he says, walking in him. Everything about our advancing now in the Christian life depends on walking with Christ, or much more, his walking with us. So I must stop to ask you before we go on, how is it with you? Are you still trying to follow two diverging paths? The crowd may be going that way, but the Lord is leading you a different way. You know it. You've heard him say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And the point here is, this is what you really need if you want to grow. Not something else, not something magical, magical. You want to deepen your love and devotion to Christ? You don't need new philosophies. You don't need ecstatic experiences, visions, traditions. You need to walk in Christ. This is what I say you have, and this will make the difference. And as we are here coming to the start of a new year, a new year to walk with the Lord in the light of his word and what a glory he sheds on our way, this is the, song, this is the, the way. There's no shortcut. There's no other path. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Can you see yourself saying, okay, I, I know everyone's going that way. I feel the pull, but Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. That's what you need. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, he begins. So here's the first picture of forward progress of walking in Jesus. But now, 
Very typical Pauline way. He's going to mix his metaphors. In fact, it's kind of like an art gallery as he takes us now uh, through five portraits of growth. We go from the first, walking on a path, now to being rooted like a tree, then being built up like a building under construction, then being firmly established where we stand, then abounding like an overflowing river. So he's going to paint the picture for you and to, to fire your imagination and to show you from different perspectives what this means to walk in Christ Jesus as we've received him. So point two, he then goes on immediately to say, we are to be rooted in Christ, rooted in Christ. Now some, tro- some trees go, grow quickly, uh, others like the spruce in our living room grow slowly. Some are found in thick forests. Some, it seems, around here in southwest Virginia seem to grow right out of the side of a rocky cliff. But what's true of all of them is that their life is entirely drawn from the roots, which go deep into the source of water and nutrients that are necessary for their life. So here is Paul's second picture of Christian growth. We are rooted in Christ drawing our life, our strength, our nourishment, our growth from him. Christ, he says in the next chapter, is your life. Our life begins and ends with him. He died for us, he rose again. And we do in him. He gave us new birth, as we read, through his word and spirit. He keeps us and nourishes us to the end. He's going to appear again and we with him in glory. Next chapter. But we don't need anything else than him. We need a much deeper rootedness in him, is Paul's point. Whether we think um, we need something like wisdom or courage or more patience, especially in long sermons, joy, self-control, love. Well, where are we going to get these things now that we've received Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, no, 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 he says, All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. He's the source of it all. You need to stick your roots down deep in Jesus. Can you imagine yourself now as a great oak tree that's tall, strong, and healthy, that defies wind and weather, even in seasons of drought, is flourishing because your strong roots go deep. That is the kind of nourishment, growth, and stability that we get when we are rooted in Christ. So the the picture now of roots is that hidden part of your life that's kind of underground, right? The the hidden part of your walk that, that others don't see. You know, over the last few years, the church has endured the scandal of the destruction of Christian celebrities whose ministries went very high, but whose roots apparently did not go very deep. Or perhaps when the storm came, they crashed because they weren't rooted in Christ. This is a very practical picture, portrait of Christian growth. You need to draw your life from Him. Don't draw it ultimately from any other source because it won't sustain you. 
Trees don't send their roots carelessly into the air, but always deep in the soil. If you put your roots into other things, well, you put them into the anxiety of worry, you're going to get what the anxiety of worry can give you. You feed yourself on worldly entertainment, you know what I mean? Worldly entertainment will give you what it can offer you. You put your roots into Jesus, you get what Jesus can offer you, and as we've said, that's everything. We are nourished or starved or even poisoned by what we sink our roots into. Can you picture yourself, therefore, growing your roots day by day, down deep in him, to draw your daily life and nourishment from him? This is the practical picture he gives of walking in Christ. Now, Paul goes to a third portrait of Christian maturity, being built up in Christ, built up picturing, and now a building under construction. Or if you have the New American Standard, you'll see this is actually a present participle uh, indicating steady progress toward completion, being built up in him. That's a particularly accurate translation here, being built up in him. You know if you've watched a building under construction that it's a progress, and sometimes uh, a process. Sometimes the progress is obvious. You, You watch in the the framing seems to go up pretty quickly. The roof goes on. And then, and then there are other times when you wonder, I saw all those trucks over there for weeks, but what do they do there? Looks the same. I mean, you know they were working inside on the things that you couldn't see. Wiring, plumbing, other things that might not be obvious, but are essential for the finished building to function properly. And so it is when you walk with the Lord. Sometimes there are very obvious changes that others can easily see. More often, it seems, the Lord is steadily at work within, in areas that are not as dramatic, but are just as necessary. Uh, There's a lot of heart work that has to go on day by day, as Paul explains in the third and fourth chapter here, dealing with a grumbling spirit, uh, putting to death the lust of the flesh, speaking kindly, to others when they are not speaking kindly to you. Building on Christ is what he says will give you growth. Okay, so what does that practically mean? Well, for example, he explains in chapter 3, chapter 3 begins, look, if you were raised with Christ, then seek those things above where Christ is. He gives a whole list. Or later, you need to forgive one another, just as... Christ forgave you. See, it's always on the foundation of Christ that the command is given. Not just that you might be better people, not just that you might be wise. No, no, no. Just as you've received Christ, what you've received in Him, now learn to give. Be built up in Him. As you've learned, so do. Christ is giving you a solid, stable, practical foundation on which you will find the stability for the rest of your life. And this is very practical in the Colossian situation, which we've mentioned here. Stability is often the opposite of trendy, flashy, sensational. Stable Christians and stable churches don't chase chase the latest fads. 
They don't keep people hyped up with speculations or the, the latest self-help insights on how you can have a successful life or whatever. That draws a crowd, but it doesn't produce growth. Growth comes in Christ, strength of stability, being built up in Him as our foundation. I, I ask you, what is the foundation of your life? What, what, what are you building it on? What, you might be able to build a lot on a cracked foundation, but boy, are you going to have trouble later on. You might as well be building on the sand. You've got to start with Jesus. You've got to come to Jesus. Delay not. Here's our third portrait of walking with Christ, being built up in Him. Where Christ, as it were, the foundation in which our whole life now grows and rises to heaven in Him. Fourth, we're to be established in the faith, or some of you have it translated, strengthened in the faith. It does have that important nuance, being established strong, of course, being firmly established in the faith, we might say, putting those things together. You, you can imagine uh, taking your stand, planting your feet. And so when Paul writes that you are to be established in the faith, he doesn't mean the act of believing in Christ. He means the faith, that is, uh, the body of truth which Christians have received. The faith, as he says here, that you've been taught. This is where you need to grow strong and, and take your stand. Now, people have tried, especially in the 20th century, they've tried to, uh, to go on with Christ, without being established in the faith. Separating what Paul joins together, that's a catastrophe. For example, in 1993, Al Mohler took over as president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and when, the, when he arrived in Louisville, well, things were not good at all. There were few Bible-believing faculty in those days. So Mohler went to work, and the very first sermon he preached in chapel was called don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> Don't just do something, stand there. For years, you see, the so-called moderates in the Southern Baptist Convention had said, oh, let's not fight over the Bible or doctrine. Let's just build the church and do missions. There's a whole world needing to be saved out there. But meanwhile, people saw that the church and missions were growing weaker and weaker and receding and and Moeller's message to the seminary was this. You need to first take your stand on the Word of God. You need to believe that faith as you were taught that we've received. Like what the Bible says about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. You take your stand there and then we'll be able to do something. Because only people who believe the truth are going to be able to advance the truth. So to go on with Christ, the point in here is... You need to grow strong in the faith, the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, which, which you were taught. Now, I realize in our day, uh, some people want to separate head knowledge from heart knowledge. And you know which one they think is much more important, right? As if anyone could have great faith while being ignorant of the faith, trying to separate again what God has joined together. This too ends in catastrophe. 
For example, my uh, first professor of theology, known to some of you, uh, Ligon Duncan, he was at a meeting of the uh, Evangelical Theological Society in Birmingham, Alabama a few years ago, and uh, one of the speakers was up there, and he was saying, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus, so long as you believe in Jesus. That's the important thing. Um, in that same room sat uh, Carl F.H. Henry, an old man at that time. Some of you will know his name. Former editor of Christianity Today for a number of years when the magazine was in better shape, frankly. And, and, and Henry, he raised his hand and, and said, Sir, are, are you telling me that I could believe that Jesus was a 6th century AD avatar born in India who taught universal peace and harmony, but I would still be a Christian if I believed in that Jesus? The speaker replied before them all, yes, as long as you're sincere. That approach may play very well in the press today, but I tell you, it will kill the evangelical church if it spreads. Because Paul is laying the very reverse here down. He says, look, if you want to grow in Christ, you need to know the truth about Christ. You need to stand strong. You need to take your stand strongly, firmly established in that faith as you've been taught. Now, please hear me carefully. I am not trying to downplay the heart. Paul goes on in the very next phrase to say that we being established in that faith will then abound in it with thanksgiving, abound in it, the faith, with thanksgiving. The truth, of course, must move us. It, it does that if you understand. Christ's sovereignty in chapter 1 should give us a powerful sense of peace and confidence his preeminence, chapter 1, emboldens us that not one of his promises will fail. And the fact that Christ himself, none other than he, has taken your sins and nailed them to his cross, that should comfort us immensely in the face of our own sins and moral failures. That we now possess the very righteousness of God in Christ himself, in whom we stand before God. And that love of Christ should fill our hearts with joy. And, and on and on. I'm, I'm saying don't set the heart against the head, people. This is feel-good religion, if you can just see it. There's, there's nothing better. If you could just know it better, this will lift your head on the worst of days. And so Paul's concern, a, a growing head and heart knowledge together, uh, 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 this knowledge of sound doctrine will protect you specifically against the many winds of false teaching that may blow others off course. One more practical comment before I go on. Being established in the faith is much more than just knowing what the Bible says. It uh, requires walking that way. This is his point in context. Or we might say doing what it says. Because it, if sound doctrine is not forming Christ in you, it can bring out the worst. You've seen that before. Walking in Christ brings a maturing understanding of God's will in every area of our lives as we are making progress, our education, our work, our finances, our parenting, and so forth. We, we, we find that every area we have more, more to learn and more to, more to live out, and as we live it, we learn it. So are you growing is the point in the only truth upon which you can build a life. Are you living it out as a light to the world and living a life of integrity and reflecting your faith in your action 
and joyfully speaking of the word of Christ and boldly standing up for the truth when it's opposed. Because here's the way to grow in this walk with Christ. In this portrait, he, he says, look, take your stand. Be established in that faith as you've been taught. Firmly established, point four. Fifth and finally, we are to be abounding in it with thanksgiving. Or some of you have, I think even more beautifully, uh, more picturesque anyway, overflowing with thanksgiving, like a, like a river that's now flooding and overflowing its banks, flooding the surrounding countryside. Can you picture your grateful wonder to Christ and for all that he's been to you and all that he's done just spilling over in thanksgiving? Can't be contained. The Christian walk, despite the difficulties I've mentioned, is not a life of burden. It's a life of overflowing gratitude. When we grow in our understanding that Christ is ours and all that is ours in Him, as we understand this, understand that faith, point four, our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving in it. And perhaps you say, well, I, I, wish, I, would, I wish I could be more thankful but what about my circumstances? What about what's happened to me? Well, that, that is a very good question. As we saw a few weeks ago, this whole letter, short as it is, has a strong emphasis on thanksgiving um, right from the very first. It begins with Paul giving thanks. Um, where's Paul writing from? Prison. But he's thankful because he says he understands, despite those temporary circumstances that aren't even mentioned at the beginning, the, the Lord is so wonderfully at work. There's so much in Christ to be thankful for that puts everything else in its proper place. And therefore, he prays for the church in 111 that in all their troubles, that they should have all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks. Thanks. To the Father, who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, who's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Isn't there just so much that Christ is to you, that He has done for you, and so on? Many of you know my story over the years. I've contended with depression and the spiritual discouragement that comes with it. And I myself am prone to neglect all the great things that the Lord has done for me and is doing. But when I think about Him, when I think about His salvation and all that the Lord has done and is doing, I am overflowing with thanks to God for grace abounding because I deserve none of it. And I remember very, very clearly what it is to be without hope and without God in the world. And I think that on my worst day, I have far more, far, far more to be happy than the happiest man in this world who doesn't know him. The challenge for me is to remember all that I have in Christ. That's what Paul is doing, setting this before us. That is why abounding, not just in thanksgiving, but abounding in it, in the faith, is what he's saying with thanksgiving, knowing what we have. Now, here we are at the end of the year. 
It's a very good time to reflect on the blessings in your life, especially that great gift of Christ himself to you and the rich blessings you have in him. And it's always a good time to express that gratitude by prayer and, and action and to share that joy with others as a source of encouragement and blessing to them. How, how I love it to hear how much other people are delighting in Christ and what he's been doing in their life and the stories that they have to tell, stories of victory and wonder and to remember that we are loved and we are held by everlasting arms. And to Paul's specific concern here, growing in thanksgiving is very practical for you because grumblers will be much more susceptible to the lure of false teaching. They'll, they'll see something in that tradition, something in that uh, great experience, something in that angelic report, something in that philosophy of man that, that turns their head. But a grateful heart that's daily satisfied with the abundant blessing and all that we've received will be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. So remember, this Christian journey is walk is a journey of growth and transformation. And therefore, point five, we are to, to learn to abound, to abound in the faith, and so let the heart overflow in it with thanksgiving. Here it is, brothers and sisters, the sentence that you may wish to commit to memory. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it, with thanksgiving. Keep that focus on Jesus, for he's all that you need. Now, in conclusion, I, uh, I, I want, having finished with the meaning of the passage, well, hardly exhausting it, but taking you on this tour of the various portraits of walking in Christ. As we're doing in this series, I'd like to spend a few minutes in conclusion applying this teaching to some bigger questions of, of your life. How does it sound to you when I say, Jesus is all you need? Does that sound trite? Are you like the story of the Puritan in prison who was being served bread and water and was able to say, all this in Jesus too? <laughs> Jesus is all you need. Does that resonate with you or does that leave you flat and doubtful? I don't know. Because here's the bottom line for your life. If you have not found this to be true, I, I suggest to you, you have to, know the, you have to get to know the real Jesus. Because once you know him, there is nothing deficient. Don't settle for, as one man put it, a junior varsity Jesus, an unwittingly reduced Jesus, an unsurprising and predictable Jesus. We, uh, we got him. That is not the Jesus whom we meet in this letter, certainly. Not the one we met in chapter 1. For whom and through whom are all things. The one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. The one who made everything and who sustains everything by his powerful world, word. Is he not enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Years ago, after communism fell in, in Europe, we heard about several former Soviet citizens who were going through severe emotional trauma because they had to admit that they had lived their entire lives in vain. 
in the diligent or not so diligent pursuit of a false principle and looking for a world that does not in fact exist, the worker's paradise that, Mar that Marx had promised them so many years before. How crushing to live your life only to find out it's all for nothing. Never the Christian. Because the world that Christ has promised those who trust in him not only exists when we appear with him in glory, it is very well known to believers today. We've received Christ Jesus. We're walking in him. Perhaps you heard that well, maybe you could receive Christ Jesus as your Savior, but then later, later have the option of receiving him as Lord. Well, I say to you, perhaps you've not received him at all, because to receive Christ Jesus is to receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the real Jesus, who he is. You need the real Jesus. If it's, if it's not wonder-producing, life-transforming, overflowing with thanksgiving, dear friend, do not rest until you have found the real Jesus. That's what you'll find in him. And I say to you all, don't lose your first love for the wonderful, exalted Savior who loves you and given himself for you as in a marriage. You need to keep it up and advance. If your love for him is cooled, if you're just in some kind of routine Christianity, you need to go back to the beginning as you received him. Go sit again at his feet Think about how it was when you first received him as Christ Jesus. Meditate on his beauty and grace and ask him to make this next year a year of unprecedented growth in him. And if you've never received Christ Jesus the Lord, after all this, if you've never received Christ Jesus the Lord, oh, I pray that you would receive him right now. Why not do that right now? With less and less to cling to, to hold on to these days, the treasure of knowing Christ is being revealed as more and more precious. Oh, you who've received Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, if you find walking in him a struggle, a struggle it must be. That is the way that progress is made. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, you will not do better anywhere else than the road where Jesus himself walks with those who know him and love him. Jesus is enough. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you again for such a great gift as Christ Jesus the Lord, not just for hope or even salvation, but for a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, that we might walk more and more in Him. Oh, that You would root and build us up in Him, establishing us in, in the faith, that we might overflow with thankfulness. We pray that You would keep us, our Father. Keep us close to the heart of Jesus. Keep us from empty deceit and all that is not according to what we have received. We pray that You would Make us to cherish the one in whom is all the fullness of God as Christ now has gone away to heaven. He has taken our very hearts with him.